This series of Rain is celebrating one of my obsessions, women's sport. The series is empowered by Nike, whose ambition, just like Rain, is to be the biggest champion for women and girls and ensure they feel seen and included. And that means all women. Nike celebrates all bodies, all journeys, and all forms of movement, and we love to see it. Nike is totally committed to that investment, supporting her journey, taking action to make meaningful change and coming through with innovative style-led products. I'm sure you've already seen the game-changing new England's women's football kit, which includes the new leak protection technology embedded in the lining of the Nike Pro short for athletes. Nike leak protection period is available as a separate product for everyone, and the ultra-thin absorbent liner is designed to give people who menstruate an added layer of confidence through movement, whether that's football, athletics, dance, weightlifting, yoga, or even a quick dash to the shop, babes. That's not all. Nike have launched the Phantom Luna, a women-led football boot, backed by Nike's most meaningful investment in women yet. That they've taken more than two years of research, trialing, designing, and styling to develop. And we haven't even gone on to the bras, leggings, pro hijabs, and their maternity and plus size ranges. So make sure you check out the latest innovation for her product at Nike.com. Hey, I'm Josh Smith, and welcome to Rain. This podcast is all about empowerment and open conversations with incredible guests. So let's get straight into it. Today, we are joined by an athlete who is raising the bar in every sense. It's the hilarious Emily Campbell. You might remember watching Emily at the Tokyo Olympics weightlifting her way to history by winning a silver medal, making her the first British female weightlifter to win a medal at the Olympics. And she did it with a Union Jack space bun hairdo like the icon she is. Alongside being a Commonwealth Games champion, European champion, a double world champion medalist, Emily is a game changer for body positivity in sport, doing it for the strong gals and reminding everyone that no matter what your body may look like, you are capable of anything. She is also a role model for putting yourself out there and getting what you want, even when the obstacles are stacked against you. I think you're going to feel so inspired by Emily's journey from living with her parents at 27 years old to becoming an Olympic athlete. And if you didn't think weightlifting was for you, think again. I'm off to go do some weights straight after this episode. I'm that motivated. <laughs> I'll let you know how that goes. Dot, dot, dot. Well, hello, Emily. How are you? I'm fine, thank you, my love. How are you? <laughs> it's been a day, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been a bit of an ordeal, but we're here. So. But... We are here, we are thriving, and you're just back from training camp, right? Yeah, um, yes, definitely. I've been to the US, so we spent some time in Miami and Orlando, so can't complain. Lots of sunshine, lots of beach, um, but yeah, lots of hard training as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How much hard training in comparison to the beach? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I would lie if I said that it was the other way around, but no, we did have to actually train hard. We got one, we got one beach session and luckily we had a pool in our villa, so we got to enjoy the pool after training quite most days, so that was good. What is like a training camp like? Um, so essentially, it, you just literally train, eat, sleep, recover, um, and it's just really nice for you to go away 
um, and just focus on that one thing and just kind of shut out life's distractions and just really get your head in the game and just really go, right, I'm going to make some real good training sessions and really get myself in a real good place for obviously whatever we've got coming up next. So for me, it's the World Championships in September in Saudi Arabia. So, you know, it's just really getting that good block of training in and just being able to also relax after, just being able to come back and have the nice little pleasures and yeah, and, and training camp's always about environment as well. So I'm very lucky I get to go away with whoever I please. So we all just kind of group together and we're all just vibes. And it's just, yeah, every man for themselves, banter every day, getting absolutely grilled. Um, yeah, and it's just a real good, it just gets your energy up and just like, yeah, you know, gets, makes you put your game on as well because everybody's struggling, everybody looks amazing. So you got to make sure that you, you're not letting the side down, you know? Yeah, 100%. I mean, you never let the side down because... Let's get straight into dropping some facts about how game-changing your career is. Not only are you one of the most successful British weightlifters of all time, of all time, the whole of history, you are Commonwealth champion, European champion, double world champion medalist, and you were the first British female weightlifter to win a medal at the Olympics with a silver medal in Tokyo 2020-21. Why do you think it's taken so long for a British woman to meddle in weightlifting at the Olympics? Um, I just don't think there was the investment in the beginning. Um, you know, in Britain, we have a system where if you produce Olympic medals, you get the funding to help you continue to produce Olympic medals. But if you don't mm. produce any, there's no funding available to help you produce them. So it's a little bit of a catch-22. It's almost like you need to prove yourself at the top level to be helped to get to the top level. But obviously you need the help to get to the top level in the first place. So it's a little bit backwards, but, you know... We've been very fortunate in the fact in the past few years, we've had some fantastic females that have come through and just really, really grinded hard. You know, they've not had all the exposure, they've not had all the help, they've not had all the money thrown at them, all the sponsors, but, you know, they just grinded silently in the background, you know, being one of them being myself. And finally, we're starting to, you know, earn our flowers and get, you know, recognised for what we're doing. And, you know, it's just beautiful, obviously, for people to see our sport as well. We just want people to enjoy our sport and make their minds up for themselves. And, you know, if they come away and say that was boring, I never want to see it again. But fair play, at least they had a chance to have a look at it. But, you know, nine times out of ten that people watch our sport, they come back and they go, that was sick. I want to watch it again. So, you know, we just need the the chance to have that exposure. Um, and, you know, we're still fighting now for, you know, media coverage and, and, you know, to be put on the television for our championships and people to just have the opportunity and the choice to enjoy us. Um, and that's what I'm fighting for, for us to just, you know, give people the option to want to enjoy weightlifting. Mm. I mean, after watching, like in preparation for this interview, I was watching and I watched you when you got the silver medal and then I was watching all these videos of you like competing I was literally like I'm gonna get down that gym and start lifting those weights I, I, I was inspired that's brilliant that's that's and that's all we could ever hope for you know it's all we could ever hope for and and like I always say it's not about you becoming you know Commonwealth champion or going to the Olympics or all of that it's about just finding something that makes you happy and if that means that you end up going to the gym and you end up finding your thing or you end up going you know starting Pilates or you know dance class or something that gets you active and gets you moving and gives you your thing that you feel empowered and you walk out there and you feel like a bad bitch do you know what I mean like that's that's what we want to do. Like, that's what I want to do anyway. That's what I want to make you feel like, you know? And it doesn't have to be lifting weights. It's just, you know, something that keeps you healthy and active. And, you know, you walk out and you feel empowered by you and everybody's different. Yeah. Well, how does it feel to feel like a bad bitch who's made history? And not only just making history, you did it in Union Jack Space Buns <laughs> at the same time, which I think is so iconic. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's still surreal to me, you know, um, 
you just train really hard, you do something you love and, you know, you just want to be the best that you can do at it. And I've always had a motto that like, you know, I just want to leave it all out there. I want to know that I've trained 110% and that I left it out there. And then if I get rewarded for that, then that's a bonus, you know? Um, so obviously, yeah, to do to do what I did and then obviously to kind of continue as well because there was a lot of pressure on me after Tokyo because I produced this medal and everyone was expecting big things. And, you know, I very luckily backed up 2022 with a very, very good year to just kind of say to everyone, it wasn't a fluke, like I'm, I'm here to stay and, and this is what I want to do. And yeah, obviously my hair, it always has to slay. It doesn't matter what competition I'm at, I will make sure my hair slays. And now I put immense pressure on myself because everyone's expecting something massive for Paris. So now I'm like brainstorming. So if there's any like stylists out there that want to hook me up for Paris and want to come out to Paris and do my hair, holler, please, because, you know, <laughs> the pressure's on. <laughs> Have you already started on the mood board for the Paris 2024 hair? No, but I definitely need to. I think, you know, I've had three, maybe four questions in the past few days about the Paris hair. And I'm like, okay, right, we need to start actually putting these wheels in motion because this is a real thing. So, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Aside from the pressure to deliver stunning hair, <laughs> how do you cope with pressure and how's your relationship with pressure changed? Like once you've got that Olympic medal, does the pressure ease or does it get harder on how have you learned to process pressure? I think it just kind of transfers because obviously your first pressures are to prove yourself. You want to prove yourself. You want everyone to, you know, see all the horrible, grueling hours that you do in the gym that's paid off and that you're worth, you know, people investing time in. And then once you do that, it's very easy to get to the top. It's very hard to stay at the top. Um, and that's what I've really found that, you know, mm. then it's a new level of pressure because then you've got to be like, right, how do I maintain this? How do I continue performing every day, day in, day out? How do I keep performing at every competition? And it's not easy, you know? Like, I've had setbacks, like, the beginning of 2023. I had a knee surgery, and then that recovered really well, but it ended up setting off something in my back, and then my back was really injured. And it literally happened three weeks before the Europeans, and I'm sat there thinking I'm not going to be able to defend my title. And I did get to a point where I, I really didn't think I would be able to do it. And at the last minute, I managed to pull something, I don't know where it was, from the heavens above to be able to go out there and defend my title. And, you know, it wasn't the best performance I've ever put up and, you know, it wasn't the best numbers I've ever put up. But I think that just shows that sometimes as an as an athlete and especially as a champion, you've got to just find something in you to, to get that done. Um, and don't get me wrong, it's not easy, but, you know, with over time and experience and, you know, competitions and things that I've managed to rationalise, I've become a person where I just kind of just get it done. I don't overthink it. I just sometimes I'm like, right, this is what you're born to do. This is what you need to do. You just need to kind of get on with it. How much work does it take to become a champion weightlifter? Like day in, day out, what does that look like for you? Yeah, it's... Um literally living at the gym like the gym is obviously your second home because essentially we don't really do any other training outside the gym the only other training I do is I do reformer pilates which is um, amazing just kind of keeps my body intact you know all the smaller muscles helps me concentrate on weaknesses and you know things that I don't get a chance to do in the gym but essentially every other session but that is in the gym so five sessions a week in the gym sometimes six depending on what like area of uh, training we're in so we'll do like a strength block which is essentially what it says on the tin get as strong as possible and then you have like a competition block where you then build the confidence and get the lifts looking as smooth and as you know um, effortless as possible ready for competition and then you go into competition and, and then compete um so yeah it's just at the gym l literally leg day every single day like so squatting 
um, snatches, clean and jerks, um, different variations of snatches and clean and jerks, deadlifts, pulls, and then you've got your body weight, body uh, building accessories on top. So there's things like back extensions, lat pull downs, bicep curls, whatever, whatever works for you. Every, every athlete's different. Every athlete has different strengths and weaknesses. So you have to work on different exercises. So, you know, a session could take from two hours to three hours um, a day. Some people split them up. Some people do, you know, double sessions. So we'll go in and do so much in the morning and then go in back in again in the afternoon. So yeah, that's kind of how like the weightlifting is. And then obviously I do the Pilates on the side and then you've obviously kind of got to think about your recovery. So we'll probably spend another half an hour after the session stretching and then it's come home, ice bath, you know, recovery boots, etc. all those things, uh, muscle stimulation, just to obviously get yourself prepared because essentially you're doing the same thing again, throwing yourself under heavyweights again the next day. Um, so you've got to make sure that your uh, body's prepared. And I think more is mentally as well, you know, when your body is just like crying at mm. you. Like sometimes if I had a theme tune for my body, it'd be literally like screaming because it's like so battered. You've got to get your mindset in, in brain to be like, right, I've got to go and do this all over again when you can't think of being anywhere anywhere worse. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's weightlifting. It's grueling, it's not glamorous. And that's why I try to make competition as glamorous as possible because there is nothing glamorous about training. You are here on top of your head, sweating. It is reps after reps and your body's crying at you. But, you know, that's how we uh, we get ready for competition. That's how you get it done. Absolutely. But you, because you mentioned your mindset there, like how have you learned to work on your mindset and your mental strength like what have you done in order to like build that incredible mental strength that you have yeah i think i mean luckily for me i was i've been in sport from a very very young age and i think when you're in sport from a young age you develop a certain amount of you know resilience and you learn that nice life lessons that you know that you can carry through to life that you know that things aren't always going to go your way or you know that you have to work really hard for what you want and, and things along those lines but i think when i got into elite weightlifting um it was more about creating making my life as easy as possible for something that's so hard. So in terms of like making sure that my preparation is bang on. So making sure I know exactly what I'm doing in training. I'm on the same page as my coach. We've got good communication. We know exactly what's going on. And my team around me know exactly what's going on and that, that I can speak to them openly and they can feed back to me and we can put things in, in place and practice and move on. And I always say like believe in the process because I know that mm. the training that I've completed going to get me ready for competition so I don't need to stress about where I am or what I'm doing I know that what I've carried out is going to prepare me for that competition day um, and then also it's things like at competition making sure that you are prepared as possible so making sure that you know I have a very set pre-routine so from the minute I step out onto the platform every time I go out there I do the same exact thing because then it, it reminds my body right it's time to lift we've got to lift heavy we've got to switch on and if I've kept that consistent throughout the years and every competition that I've been to, so now it becomes second nature and I don't have to think about it as much. Um, and the thing is, it's not easy and, you know, you do get nervous. I think for the first, I'm not really a nervous person. I don't get mad nervous. Probably mm. the night before I'll have a little think about it before I go to sleep. And, you know, you, you think about lifting over in your head and then you fall asleep. And then once I wake up in the morning and, you know, I have my pre-routine of getting up in the morning, doing my hair, doing my makeup, getting my bag packed, getting everything prepped, go and get something to eat and then go to weigh-in. And then once you're kind of in that mode, because you've done it so many times, you're so used to doing it mm. and you just go through the motions. But 
this World Championships just gone actually in Colombia was the first time I was actually really, really nervous. It was the first Olympic qualification ready for Paris. You know, every single girl is in shape. Everyone wants what you want. You know, we've all come for the same thing and only, you know, only so many of us can get it. And, you know, I was nervous for the first time ever. And that was a real challenge for me because I actually had to, I remember sitting in the back room and being really nervous and like my heart kind of going a little bit. And I was like, oh, I've never really felt like this before like I'm normally cool by now and that was just like me drawing back on experience and, and reminding myself you're ready you're in shape you've done everything you possibly can you're going to be fine when you get your hands on the bar just go out there and do you and essentially as soon as I did get out there and I started work I started warming up and I started snatching I totally forgot about everything but that was the first time ever I was a little bit thrown off I was like oh I've never felt like this mm. before like I'm really nervous you know um, so yeah, it's uh, it definitely comes with preparing yourself, I think. I think mindset comes with making sure that you put the right things in place so that your mindset doesn't have to think about those things and that you just concentrate on the job at hand. Mm. I think it's so interesting because your career is completely defined by how strong you are, literally. That's what, that's what it is. It's a measure of strength, right? Yes. And I was just wondering, like, what do you think that weightlifting has taught you about strength in your own life? Yeah, um, I think that it's taught me how, you know, internally strong I am and how, you know, how strong I am, like like you said, within life, you know, everyone always puts it down to the physical and stuff, but weightlifting is, is mental. You know, you can be as strong as you want, but mm. if your head's not in it on the day or your head's not in it for that training session, then it, it's essentially ruined. It doesn't matter what your body can do. And it made me realise that like, you know, I've always been a person that I always sit there and think, you know, there's always somebody worse off than me. So when I'm sitting and moaning about trivial things, like, you know, we all like a moan. And I always say to my coach when he gives me horrible programs, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to moan about it and you're going to hear it. Um, but, you know, we, I do think and I do sit there and I think, you know, I'm in a very, very, I'm in a very, very blessed position to be where I am. No, I've not been handed it and I've not been given it. I've worked my backside off to be where I am. But at the same time, you know, I have to enjoy and I have to embrace everything that I've had come with this life. And especially with life, I'm like, if you can, if you can train yourself, support yourself, work, build yourself up, get an Olympic medal with no funding, continue to perform, go on the year after to win a Commonwealth Games, then all these little trivial things that you get given in life actually, if you sit down and you rationalise them, there's always going to be a solution. There's always a way that you can sort it out. And I think it's just made me realise that actually, life's not really that bad and things aren't really that hard. You just have to take time to work them out and to want to work through them. And I always just, I am quite a positive person in the fact that I'll always try and find a positive out of it. Within weightlifting, that's also another thing that you have to do, like training has to evolve. Training has to, you know, mm. if the training programme works, you want to the same because you know you don't fix anything that's not broken but you change as an athlete you change as a person and sometimes things don't quite go to plan and you've got to learn to evolve that and to change that and to be like right okay this exercise is not working anymore or you know this is not quite working in the lift so we need this exercise and I think that's what kind of I've took into my everyday life that right okay this is quite not working like this anymore how am I going to do this and yeah I think there's a lot of life lessons to be learned and um, you know I think through any sport and any exercise, there's a lot of lessons that you can take from that into your into your life. And, you know, like sport's not fair. 
it's not always uh, it's not always goes in your favor or it not even goes your way, especially when you've worked so hard and then you don't get the reward out of it at the end. But then also that's life. You know, you can work years and years and years for a job that you you know really want and you don't get that promotion or you don't go in that way that you thought that you was going to go. But, you know, there's always there's a path for everyone. You know, God has chosen a path for, for all of us. So I just think that, you know, you have to sit on that path. You have to ride it no matter how rough it is. Um, and there definitely is light at the end of the tunnel. And I mean, speaking of that, you really did have to get to the Tokyo Olympics the hard way. You had no lottery funding like many athletes do. How difficult was it to make your Olympic dream a reality? And what kind of sacrifices did you have to go through in order to do that? Yeah, it was tough. I'm not going to lie. Like, um, you know, I still lived at home for a start, you know, when you're 27 and you're still living at home with, with the rent. I mean, I'm very lucky. I've got very, very nice parents and I do get on with them very well. But, you know, when you're training and you're like exhausted every single day and, you know, they don't quite understand why you are like you are and you just look like you're being lazy when you come back from training because all you want to do is like sleep and, and die after after you've been training but you know I had to rely on them a lot financially for stuff you know essentially they you paid to feed me every single day they obviously housed me and all the rest of it and then obviously I had to work um so I had a job pretty much up until the pandemic until I couldn't work anymore um and you know it was that was to put fuel in my car to you know pay for supplements to pay for you know everything else that came with it um, and then it's just finding the time, obviously, because, you know, when you get to a, a level of an elite athlete, when you get to a certain level, it's all about the 1%. You know, you've trained for years, you've mm. done everything you need to do. It's like, how do I find that extra 1% to up that person, that other person in the world? How do I do that? And then, you know, when you are training and then working, then you've hardly got any time for recovery. You're going to bed at, at, you know, later times than you need to be. You're not getting as much rest because then you've got to be up again in the morning to do the same thing. Um, and yeah, it was it wasn't easy. But then you know, at the same time, when people ask me all about it, do you wish it was different? No, I don't wish it was different because, you know what, it made me the person that I am, and it made me the athlete that I am, and it made me never to realize to rely on anybody or anything for anything. And that if you want anything bad enough, you will make it happen. Like you know, British weightlifting sat us down at the beginning of the Olympic cycle in Tokyo and said, we haven't got any funding as an uh, organization. You're going to have to raise ten grand to qualify for the Olympics. But it was my dream to go to the Olympics. And I was like, you know, straight away, it hit me, it hit me hard. It blew me and I thought, how am I going to manage this? I can't afford 10 grand. My parents can't afford 10 grand. You know, it's not, you know, my parents have supported me every way they can, but they can't just pick 10 grand out of the year. And I was like, mm. you know what? You make this happen. And I did. And I went back and, you know, my parents and my sister helped me and we wrote emails and we sent them out to companies and I went round and I did things and I picked up extra work and I did whatever. And I paid for that first Olympic qualification competition. I did it. I raised two and a half grand and I paid for it. And I made sure I went. And every time I achieved something like that, it just made me realise that the sky is the limit. And that it is. And every time I went to a competition, I set my bar higher in terms of performance. Every time I went there, I was like, I'm not just going to qualify now. I'm going to try and qualify in the top five. And then when I qualified in the top five, I was like, I'm going to get a medal. And then I went and got my medal. And then it was coming back. And it's like, right, how do I move on from that? You know, I wanted to be, I didn't want to just be a European champion. I wanted to be three-time European champion. I didn't want to just be a world medalist. I wanted to be double world medalist. And I think once, you know, once you go through that struggle, like they said, you know, you only create a diamond out of pressure. And I think, you know, putting me in that situation just made me very grateful and made me realise, you know, just, just graph for what you want, you know. And yeah, sometimes it doesn't always work out, but if you don't try, then you'll never know. 
you know this podcast is all about bringing people together through the power of good conversation. And that's why I'm so happy to be working with Nike for this series, because one of Nike's greatest strengths is their ability to bring people together through the power of sport. As well as creating specific products for her, Nike is unlocking doors for the next generation, accelerating change in sport from grassroots level and investing in more than 135 community partners that support women and girls around the world who want to participate in sport. It's this kind of inclusion and progress that makes me so proud to be working with Nike for this special series. So I encourage you to head to at Nike Women to find out more. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You have become such an incredible role model, I think, for body positivity in sport and beyond. Like, seeing you out there competing as a strong woman is so empowering. And I love this quote that you said just after you won um, the silver medal at the Olympics. You said, I don't look like a typical athlete, but what my body does is amazing. And what your body does is incredible. What do you want to stand for as a role model? Thank you, first of all. Um, And yeah, I just want to prove to everyone that you know, the fitness industry for a while has been very, you know, tunnel visioned and been very like, it's a very elite space and you only have to be a certain person or look a certain way to be a part of it. And it's not. Fitness and health is about life. It applies to every single person Mm -hmm. walking on this planet. And it doesn't matter if you like sport or you hate it or whatever, you have to be healthy. This is about you wanting to live a long life and be able to play with your grandkids in the garden and run around and be healthy. And that's what it's about. And I just want to be a person that stands there and goes, yes, you might not look like everybody else. And yes, some people might have something to say about how you look and, and how and how you portray yourself, but you have to do things for you. In life, we have to be almost, we have to be selfish sometimes. And we have to think about ourselves our self-worth and our self-care and part of that is being unapologetically you and it doesn't matter what shape and size you come in and I also think that hopefully you know I don't think we've had girls as big as me being in sport before because they haven't had the representation they haven't seen girls at a top level look like me and that's why I wanted to be that person that looks like me to say we can make it up here. I know you haven't seen people up here, but we do exist. And I think that's going to encourage more and more girls that think, oh, I haven't got abs or I don't look like this or I don't look like that to be able to get involved in sport and find their true potential. What kind of negative perceptions do you think still really persist around strong women from your experience? And looking back at your experience, have there been some moments that have really taken you back and you're like, oh my God, I cannot believe you think that or you perceive me in that way yeah absolutely um yeah i did um i did a campaign for a um a famous search engine um i won't say the name um but yeah some of the things that people are still searching um one of the top ones was can i be strong and feminine and you know it blows your mind because you think is that even a question and obviously to me that's like not even a question because i'm like yeah i might be a big girl but i'm still good looking like come on like 
the two things mm. don't go hand in hand. Just because you're big, it doesn't mean that you're all of a sudden ugly. Like, it's absolutely ridiculous, but we still seem to want to tie the two together. And I think that, again, that's what defers women because women don't want to be seen as, you know, people think that when you're strong, you're manly and you're dominant and, you know, all these things that all of a sudden, just because you're strong, those things get attached to it. Well, no, I'm just strong because I go to the gym, I lift weights, I'm healthy and... You know, I enjoy lifting weights, and but it's all the stigma that then comes with it. And yeah, but sometimes it does it does blow my mind because I think we still have so many like old ideologies of of what a strong woman is, and you know, and all of a sudden if we're that strong and and we can lift that much weight, then we must have had assistance to help us. You know, we couldn't have done that naturally. You know, we must have we must have took drugs or we must have done this or, and it's just and that's the kind of area that that's why women don't want to step in there they don't want to feel comfortable because a lot of women don't feel comfortable anyway stepping into a gym environment and then if they do step into a gym environment and they do better themselves and they get themselves healthy they get everything thrown at them but that they couldn't have just done that properly and they couldn't have just done that for themselves it's got to be for other people or it's got to be for this and and i think that's what i think that's what does deter women a lot from obviously being being in the gym you know you you most men go to the gym and they don't want to impress girls. They want to impress other men in the gym. Like, it's, it's the weirdest mm. thing I've ever seen in my life, but they do, you know? They go to the gym, they want to get strong because they want the biggest boy in the gym to come and tell them that they're hench. And then they feel great for the day and they go home with a smile on their face, you know? And it's all celebrated within the male community. But then when it comes to the female community, you know, it doesn't, we don't have that same, like, carry through. And especially within weightlifting as well, you know, super heavyweight men, they get championed and they're like, oh, they're so amazing and they're so strong and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, they're just as overweight as us, if not more overweight. Um, but the women, we're out of shape, we're fat, we've had too many burgers, we're this, we're that, you know. And we're all, oh, the, the famous one is, oh, did she just about lift her body weight? And we're nowhere near as oppressive as the other girls because we're, we don't look like they want us to look. And it's just, yeah, it's really, uh, really heart-wrenching sometimes because I think I'm obviously doing all of this work to try and get rid of that. But then, you know, we still do have an overwhelming part of, you know, the community in, in society that still have these views and, you know, sometimes won't even be changed as well. So I think that's a that's a hard battle. But, you know, it for me, it doesn't bother me. Like, uh, if you're going to take time out of your day to say those things to me, then, you know, you need to have an evaluation about your life. But, you know, I want to try and work to make sure that other females can start feeling like me and feeling like they are empowered and feel like they can do whatever they want. And if they want to run for an hour or if they want to go and lift weights for an hour or if they want to do you know, dance or whatever, that they can go and do that and that nobody is going to stop them from doing it. But, you know, forever fighting battle. <laughs> but it's such an important battle to fight because I was reading so much research into this and basically strength training has so many benefits for women's bodies that people are just not aware of. And it's like strength training can support bone density. It can help lower your risk of osteoporosis. It can help you actually live longer and it's kind of sad that this message isn't pushed out more because to have a thing that has so many benefits for your well-being, your strength, and not have people talking about that and pushing that agenda is really sad. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And that's what I said. It's about, like, this is about longevity of life. And this is about, yeah, you know, not having to sit on the rocking chair at the top of the garden and watch your grandkids play. Actually be able to get up with them and be able to play with them and be able to pick them up and, you know, throw them throw them around and, and enjoy that life. You know, th th that's what this is about. And, you know, is my coach is 80, he just turned, yeah, 83 last month for my coach, right? And he doesn't look a day over 70, you know, 65, because he strength trained his whole life. 
And, you know, up to about 78 years old, he was still back squatting 140 kilos. What? Yeah, for real. Like, for real. This is real life. Like, I, I had a camera crew come in and film me once and they saw him squatting in the corner and they ignored me and went and did a story about him instead because it was more impressed, you know? So... And he does, he comes in, you know, he's 83, gets on his treadmill and he does his, you know, he does his cross trainer, warms up, comes down, does the machines, does some, does, does all his weights and stuff and whatever. And literally he's so healthy and he's so independent and he does things all by himself because he strength trained his whole life. So he has that ability to do that. And don't get me wrong, yeah, he's getting older and, and you know, some things take him time. But because he's kept that strength training up, he has such a better quality of life now you know, even managed to bag him a woman 20 years younger than him, you know, because of, uh, of his good old strength training and keeping him nice and fit and he, he can keep up with her, you know. And and this is what, this is the message that we need to be sending out to people that you're going to live a better, healthier, happier life if you do some form of strength training. And, and you're right, that's the message that should be sent out, not the message that, you know, all the negative things that come with it. But I just think with anything in life, aren't you? Like you said, I'm going to continue to push the message because you're always going to have people that are going to bring the negative narrative or you're going to have the people that obviously want to bring it down. But I do think that we are getting we are getting further. Um, we are moving on and a lot of people are starting to see the importance in it now. And I just can only hope that it will just continue to grow and, and hopefully I can be, you know, a pioneer of that. Mm. And you raised such a good point earlier when you referenced what you were saying about KJT because there is still such a massive problem in sport with the way that women's bodies are policed by media. And it's almost like I saw this amazing Nike campaign um, where it was talking about, if we run faster, they question us. If we lift higher, they question us. What still really frustrates you about the way that women's bodies are policed in sport? You know, what winds me up the most is the fact that they feel that they can have an opinion on it for a start. And the fact that, you know, if it was equal and they had the same opinions on men's bodies, then I think people wouldn't notice it as much. But, you know, I think there was, I can't remember who did the video as well, the campaign video, but it was, um, they asked questions to men, what they would typically ask to women in media interviews. And most of the men refused to talk to them and ask them, are they all right? Because the questions were ridiculous. You know, when you come, they go, oh, you, you know, tennis players, oh, your outfit's really pretty today. Yeah, you know, did you did you plan your outfit before you came out? Do you ask men if they've planned their outfit before they come out? No, they put the best possible kit on that's going to help them perform the best. And that's exactly what women do. But yet, it's all about the aesthetics of what outfit they're wearing or, you know. And don't get me wrong, I, again, I love people, you know, talking about my hair and stuff and whatever. But again, it's like lots of questions about, oh, did you do your hair today? Or, or what makeup did you wear today? That is absolutely no relevance to me lifting weights at all. You know, it's... But this is the questions, instead of asking us proper questions about our performance and how we've trained hard and how we've been where we are, they want to ask superficial questions about the way we look because we're still obsessed with the aesthetics of women. And I think that's, that is one of the biggest problems in the media, that they're still, they're still, instead of thinking outside the box, they're still trying to feed people that they've been feeding for so many years. You know, there's no evolution within, you know, what, what used to happen back in the day. And I think, yeah, that is the most frustrating thing that they, they have a comment and opinion on people's bodies and no offense you know these 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 journalists and media people yes they've got a certain amount of research into sport and stuff and whatever but often haven't got a clue what it's took for you to be as good as you are and when they ask you silly questions like that they almost look stupid because it's like 
you could have sat and done some research, you know, it's not very hard, you've obviously sat and done your research, because, you know, the things you've come out with today, you've sat and done your research, and you obviously know what you're talking about, so they could do exactly the same, but they refuse to, because they want to ask these stupid, mediocre questions, that they think everybody wants to know the answer to, but actually, I think a lot of people are like, oh, well, that's boring, you know, same, same old questions again. And I think that's just really frustrating, I think, for us females, because we do have to prepare ourselves when we go into media, because we, we all have jokes about it. We go, what stupid questions do you think we're going to get today? Because we know we're going to get it. But the men don't have to think about that. They're going to be asked about how hard they trained and, you know, how tough their training block been and, you know, how they performed out on the court today. You look so athletic, you look so strong, you look this. But ours is, you know, the complete opposite. And I think that is uh, really frustrating for females. That's kind of where Nike comes in because they are really overturning outdated views of what women's sport clothing should be like and look like. And the innovations they are making with her is incredible. I mean, leap protection shorts, trainers specifically designed for women, uh, new sports bra technology. And that is also, the technology is amazing to see, but it's also amazing to see them challenging kind of like outdated views of what feminine sports clothes should look like and really really pushing the boundaries with that how much has that empowered you and what kind of innovations that nike brought in have really really empowered you as an athlete to be the best athlete you can be Oh, absolutely. It just gives you a whole new level, you know. Like, I've started wearing the Night Go leggings for training, and it's so nice to have a legging that's, like, you know, nice and thick. While I know I'm going to squat down. I know that I'm not going to be, you know, it's not going to be see-through. They're not going to be able to see anything. Um, and also, as well, for us women, you know, as crude as it is, like wearing underwear and stuff under leggings is one of the most uncomfortable things on the planet because, you know, it always rolls up. It always goes in places that you don't want it to go. And obviously, you want to just be comfortable while you're training. And I know that I could just put them leggings on without any underwear on and I'm going to be completely protected no matter what. Um, and that's just been, you know, a game changer for me. And, you know, I think even what empowered us the most as well is when they changed the kit for the women, you know, M not making them wear white. Mm. Like, that was such a big step. Like, people don't realise how big that was. Like, people forget, we don't know when our cycle's going to come. You can track it as much as you want, but Mother Nature comes when Mother Nature wants to come. And, you know, to have to be on edge all the time to know, oh, am I wearing the right thing today? Or I can't wear white today? Or what if I am wearing white? You know, and to, obviously for them girls to just go out there and feel empowered and know that they can just play football now and, you know, they're completely protected. I think that was that was a win for the whole sports. You know, if you play football or not, that was a win for the whole sports community. Um, and yeah, I mean, just and like like you said, with the new bras and stuff and whatever, being able to, you know, sit in properly and, and you know, and it's, they've been fantastic with me as well because I am I'm bigger breasted and it's been hard to find the bra that kind of fits me or suits me or works for me in training and stuff. And, you know, the, every time something doesn't work, you know, Adam's great at going, all right, well, the team will get you this and we'll try this and, you know, we try this on and, and that one works. And, you know, I've got like one now that I specifically wear for competition that is bang on and then keeps me in real nice. And, you know, I've got my ones for training that are a little bit more comfortable and that can fit me and you know we've played with sizes and we've played with different materials and textures and you know, just found what works for me and I, I think that's another thing that I love about Nike that you know you can always go back and you can always say this is not quite working for me or I feel like we need something like this and it, it's never a pushback or it's never a oh okay uh, we haven't got that it's we make it happen and, and and that's you know so lovely to work with a brand that just want to make sure that you can perform to your to your highest level and you, you can't ask more than that mm, you can't and we are living in such amazing game-changing times for women's sport and 
weightlifting is also such a game-changing sport in itself. And I mean, at the Tokyo Olympics, it made history by becoming, there was the first openly transgender athlete to compete in an individual event, the Summer Olympics. And whilst there's so much negativity around trans athletes, it's amazing that USA powerlifting recently ruled that trans women could also compete in the sport in a landmark case. I was just wondering, like, how proud of you, how proud are you to be in a sport that is pushing sport into the future and embracing inclusivity? Oh, absolutely. This is the thing. We need to be moving forward. We need to be moving in this direction. And, you know, we're also, you know, having conversations on a British level now about how we can include and how things can move forward within that. And, you know, it's a hard one because, you know, the research is not there and that, you know, we need to move together holistically as, as, a, as a whole a whole um, brand and, you know, get there so that we can get the right research, that we can make sure that everybody's happy and everything is fair and everybody's included. And, you know, and it is, it's, it's exciting times it's exciting time to see where it will go how we can do it and how we can do it properly and you know we've we've had conversations with people that are in that space um that are you know giving us the hard honest truth you know because it's all right to it's very easy for us to sit here you know it's very easy as men to sit there and talk about what women need and it's very easy for you know women to sit there and talk about mm. what men need or people of uh, trans or you know lgbtq community it's very easy when you're not in that community to sit there and say what people need so we've had very good very extensive conversations with people within the community about what they would like to see or how they would like to be included and how things would like to work and you know we're working on a format at the moment that hopefully we'll be able to launch soon that that allows people of lgbtq to be involved in weightlifting um and just yeah we're just hoping that we people take the i think i think just time and effort need to be be taken over it to make sure that it's done properly and that people are included properly and that people do feel safe within within whatever sport or space that they go into and that it's been done with thought that we're not just throwing it out there because we feel that society needs it out there that it's done properly and that you know nice and long thoughts gone into it so yeah exciting times yeah it definitely is and also we're still pushing to actually get the research into women's bodies in sport as well and that is a whole other level of work that still needs to be done and when people are crying (laughs) out about for instance like trans athletes I'm like okay hold on did you know there's literally zero research into how periods affect women's sport performance they're like no and I'm like hello like (laughs) yeah Yeah. get out there do the research and campaign for the research for everyone to be able to be involved in sport yeah absolutely especially as well yeah like the amount of research in strength athletes is minimum and then strength athletes in women is just even more like it's like a pin in the haystack you know when we was working towards so I competed in the world championships in Colombia and uh, the Nike NRSL team really helped me you know get there because their altitude is uh, pretty extensive so we had to do some work into it and you know the the research on strength athletes in altitude competing was like minimal like so minimal we couldn't even find like you know how essentially it would affect my body and stuff and whatever and you know I was very um helpful that I worked with uh, Steve and Steve Harmer and you know he was fantastic in finding helping me out and making me a plan and knowing exactly what to do but for him to be able to do his job was even harder because there's just no research out there and like you said you know research into periods and you know even now when we're like medication for periods or like contraception and stuff like that and whatever like we're still in an era where we we have to investigate if we're even allowed it as an athlete you know and these are things that you know we should be able to allow but then not essentially we can always have it because you know the research is not there to prove that it's essential 
Um, so, you know, like you said, we're still fighting for even those things, you know, before we even move on to, you know, a, a wider a wider pool of research. So, yeah, that's it. That's that's the start. We need to just get researching. We need to get some hard evidence out there and then people can actually start making some informed decisions. Yeah. Well, if anyone's going to get out there and campaign for change, I know it's going to be you because you are such a game changing athlete. And I've loved talking to you today, but at the end of every episode, we always ask one last question that is in the reign of your life, what's the one rule you'll always live by? Give it a go because you never know what will happen. Yes. And I think that's such a good message circling back to what you were saying earlier about people being afraid of going into the gym and thinking it's not a space for them because I know I used to think that. The idea of literally going to a gym and literally weightlifting or doing anything like that, I'd be like, oh my God, that's not for me. I'd be like, criticised and judged. It's not like a very safe space to me. And I think that that message rings so true to what you were saying earlier about encouraging people, everyone, everybody, however you identify to get in that gym. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's so many spaces out there now as well. You know, I've got friends that have opened beautiful, like women's only gyms that, that are there, you know, spaces for people of LGBTQ to be able to go and get involved. Like, you know, there's spaces for you out there. There's communities out there. There's, you know, friends you will make for life by going into, into gyms. And I know that first step is scary and it really is. But, you know, once you've took that first step, you'll literally be laughing at yourself probably a few months down the line thinking, I don't know why I was so scared to walk in this place because now it feels like home. So, just go and take that first step it is scary but this space is for you do your research and find which which space works for you and uh, i'm sure you will find somebody that is willing to welcome you in and, and to find your to find your energy i mean emily that is the bad bitch energy right there <laughs> i love it i try i try thank you so much no thank you it's been a pleasure thank you so much josh Thanks for being here for this episode of Rain. If there are things that resonate with you, I'd love to hear from you. Get me on socials at Josh Smith Host. And if you enjoyed this episode, please like, rate, subscribe, or follow, and share this with someone you think should hear it. Let's get those convos going because that is what this podcast is all about. Hi babes, me again. Just wanted to tell you about something very exciting. I can't believe I'm about to tell you this, but I've written a book and it's called Great Chat. As you know, I love to chat, plot spoiler, and I love talking to people about their lives because as I always say, talking and listening is so powerful. The book is all about how you can master conversation and transform your life just like it has for me. I've used my experience from all the amazing interviews I've been lucky enough to do, as well as a load of research to help you deal with everything from making new friends to embracing difficult discussions. Great chat should never be underestimated. It can truly improve your well-being, allow you to create the life you want, and bring the connections you are so deserving of, babes. You can pre-order Great Chat today in hardback, ebook, and audiobook, read by me, no less, and it's out on the 20th of June.